You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, your pal, and your kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL, and the show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Before we start today's show, I want to shout out to Peacock and Williamson podcast covering everything in the wide world of the NFL. Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson doing a great job over there every single day covering NFL news from the national perspective. Go check that out wherever you find your favorite podcast. That's Peacock and Williamson. On today's show, it is an important day in the NFL calendar. As I am recording, this is June 1st, but now it is post-June 1st as you are listening to this. And that changes a lot of the stuff that goes on when it comes to contracts. The Vikings are now coming into $7.9 million more million, so they've now made it. They have the Kyle Rudolph cut money. They've been dealing with Kyle Rudolph's contract this entire time, and a bunch of other stuff changes uh, pretty dynamically in terms of how contracts work, how things work if you cut or trade someone now versus if you did it you know, two days ago. Um, and in some cases, that could mean a lot of dominoes fall league-wide with you know Aaron Rodgers or the Julio Jones situation or Russell Wilson gets a lot more tradable if there was any steam to, you know, if there's any uh, fire behind that smoke uh, and a lot of other like trade options become available. So I would expect a little bit of motion to happen here in June league wide. And we'll see how much of it the Vikings participate in. So I'm going to explain that. And uh, we also have a couple of story times here. We're talking about offensive lineman Zach Bailey, who joined the team in December of last year. And uh, one I think that everybody is going to like, the the little-known wide receiver by the name of Justin Jefferson. But first, let's talk about all of this post-June 1st stuff. So June 1st is a pretty big day in the NFL. The way I like to think about it is that this is the day that it is close enough to next year where cutting a player to kind of incur the dead cat penalty now seems a little bit like cheating. You know, I think of it this way. Like, let's say it's December and you're dead. Uh, you're dead in the water. You're you're in a bad year. You're three and eight or whatever. And you want to cut some contracts and incur a dead cap hit. Well, by the time you actually have to spend money next and figure out cap stuff next, the dead cap hits would clear out, right? If you just cut them, you know, at the very end of a season and then that season would be over. So the June 1st rule or anything, any cuts that happen after June 1st, so from now until like next March, happen a little bit differently. All of the dead cap hit from a cut or a trader or, or anything like that uh, don't accelerate in the same way. So usually uh, this is the way we talked about it. We talked about this similarly on Locked on NFL, which I host every Tuesday with Ross Jackson. Ross put it a great way, so I'm going to totally steal it from him. Uh, imagine a signing bonus for a dollar over four years, so four quarters every year. Let's say you release that player now, you would have that that uh, signing bonus cap charge would all accelerate. So now you owe all four quarters right now, and now they get charged against your cap. So you take that, and that's a dead cap hit because you released the player, but you still have to pay for him. So it's kind of a dead a dead cost. If you do it after June first, only what is due this year is charged against the cap. So if you cut a player post June 1st, this is what they did with Kyle Rudolph, who had three years left on his contract, you pay one quarter this year and the other three accelerate into next year. 
So with Kyle Rudolph, ultimately, the Vikings made a little bit of extra cap space. Instead of incurring the entire dead cap hit, they incurred one-third of the cap hit this year and two-thirds of it next year. So they saved two-thirds of the dead cap penalty that they were going to have to take for releasing Kyle Rudolph from his contract. They managed to defer two-thirds of that to next year. Still got to pay that charge. Those dollars still need to be paid off eventually, but they're going to be spread out a little bit better. And that means that a little bit of extra money is essentially call it borrowed from 2022 to be used this year. As it stands right now, they have about 13 million in effective cap space, according to Over the Cap, uh, somewhere in the 13 million range. That does not include the rookies who have yet to sign their deal yet, but those rookies are the four third rounders and Jalen Twyman. So they've got about half the class signed already. Those rookie deals, when it comes to third rounders and a sixth rounder, are comparatively pretty small. They are all under a million dollars by the the rookie wage scale, but they won't cost. I think if you added it all up, it'd be like three point nine million or something like that. Um, and they the thing is, they won't cost three point nine million against the cap because of the top fifty one rule. So basically, when you sign. Kellen Mont to his deal, right? It's going to be like 990K, call it a million. That's his 2021 cap hit on his rookie deal. So when he signs that deal and it costs a million dollars, well, you only have to pay against the salary cap. It only counts right now your top 51 dudes. So when Kellen Mond at a million dollars comes in, the 51st guy gets bumped out. And that guy right now makes 780K. So the Kellen Mond deal only costs 220K. Or it's more like 210K. Uh, that's kind of nothing. So a bunch of those, right? So call it a million, two million to get off the books, say two or three to have over the course of the season for like contingency plans and stuff like that. I would say, call it the Vikings have eight or nine million that I think they can like spend on stuff. And that stuff, they have a, a kind of a to-do list here, right? Harrison Smith needs an extension. Brian O'Neill needs an extension. They got to figure out what to do with Daniel Hunter. Um, and some of those things might not cost 2021 cap, right? Harrison Smith's number might come down. Um, Brian O'Neill, I think, will cost some 2021 cap because he's currently on a rookie deal and they probably will want to add to that a little bit. And, you know, there's going to be a signing bonus on that. And I have no idea what you're going to do with Daniel Hunter or how you'll be able to structure that. So some of that goes toward that. And if they have to do all that stuff in lieu of getting bringing in like a Melvin Ingram, I think in the long term, that's worth it. And I just kind of wish that they had navigated things such that they didn't have to make that choice. But like dollars are going to be spent here before the season starts, whether it's on in-house or out-of-house guys, who's to say, but there's definitely stuff that's going to happen. And this particular deadline was one of the big hurdles preventing it from happening up till now. So we got some good stories coming at you for the rest of the show. But first, I want to talk to you about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Built Bar comes in a bunch of different delicious flavors. Maybe it's a late night or it's after a workout. You want a snack. You want to indulge a little bit. Uh, maybe have a little bit of a cheat day snack, something like some German chocolate cake, a peanut butter brownie, something like that. But you don't want to ruin all that good progress you made. You don't want to uh, fall off the wagon, as it were. You want to indulge in something without that guilt. Make it feel like a cheat day without cheating. That is the beauty of Bilt Bar. They're low in sugar, low calorie, high protein, high fiber, and they are absolutely delicious, covered in 100% chocolate. They're even keto-friendly, if that's what you're into. So head on over to BiltBar.com and enter promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, all one word, and you can get... 
15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off of your next order at BuiltBar.com. Next up, I want to talk to you about Rock Auto and specifically car safety. Do you have jumper cables in your car? Most people do, but some people, more people than I think we would like to be comfortable with, don't. And if you leave a door open, you know, you leave your lights on, um, a lot of different ways your battery can die on you. If you know what you're doing or if there's a good Samaritan who knows what they're doing and they can help you out, you just need to make sure you have the cables in your car. And you can get those cables at a brick and mortar auto shop if you want to go get overcharged for it. Or you can have them delivered straight to your door if you go order them on rockauto.com. You can get everything your car could possibly need. Just enter your car's make, model, and year, and they'll sort out everything that is compatible with your car, give you some recommendations for parts that fit what your car needs and are compatible with your unique vehicle. You can get anything you could otherwise get at a brick and mortar auto shop, but they're not going to upsell you at rockauto.com like those brick and mortar joints do. They have separate prices as a secret for their retail customers as opposed to their wholesale buyers. Rock Auto doesn't do that. If you're buying something, you're buying it for the same price as everybody else. They're a family company. They want to help you out. So head on over to rockauto.com. And in the How You Heard About Us section, let them know that Locked On sent you. Because if you don't, the bunnies have burned down a series of 7-Elevens, and they've told me that they won't stop unless you let rockauto.com know that Locked On sent you at their checkout section. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So moving on, let's talk about Zach you might have missed it when he joined the Vikings. It was in December of last year of 2020 when the Vikings were going through all their injuries and stuff and lots of roster things. They poached Zach Bailey off of Tampa Bay's practice squad. So let's take you back to South Carolina, Somerville, South Carolina, where Zach Bailey grew up. He was headed to the Debo Swinney football camp at Clemson. He was at the time choosing between South Carolina and Clemson. He had done a bunch of football camp stuff with South Carolina and he wanted to do one with Clemson and he said it was kind of at the time a toss-up between the two and that might sound really weird why would you not go to Clemson like Clemson thought it was building a powerhouse and they, you know, they were kind of right um, and they wanted Zach Bailey to be the fifth and final piece of an offensive line that was otherwise already built so he was going to get more or less a first team spot right away as a true freshman day one at Clemson but here's the thing for one Clemson wasn't quite the powerhouse that it is today back in 2014 it was still a very good school they had lost like eight games in the last three years like they were very much like a successful football program but Deshaun Watson had just enrolled uh Trevor Lawrence wasn't even an idea yet those real championship you know juggernaut Clemson teams weren't quite a thing like quite yet but South Carolina was definitely not a better football program than uh than Clemson was it was not a more prestigious program so Zach didn't really want to start right away he wanted to do this right not fast he thought that would be a great opportunity but he didn't want to be like thrust in and, and fail he wanted to do things the right way and generally that has kind of been a philosophy that has guided him through a lot of these decisions do things the right way not the easy way and i think that is a philosophy that he's really uh committed to over uh, all of these years and that's part of what kind of made this decision for him. Because when he went to those South Carolina football camps, they rode him hard. They pushed him. They had him. He said, you know, they want you down and dirty every play. It was intense and it was hard. And he loved that about it, that he felt challenged, I think. And he felt like they were really going to get the best out of him. That's not Debo Swinney's style, really. He is a much more, you know, he's a, a, a leadership 
positive feedback, kind of constructive, honest, but a tough love kind of thing where he, I think Zach Bailey wanted some intensity and something and, and other coaches have kind of said this about him, that he really responds to getting yelled at, which is, uh, Mike Zimmer's, you're going to love him. <laughs> and Sean Elliott, the uh, offensive line coach at South Carolina at the time, was that kind of coach. So Gamecocks it is. So Bailey's first year, the starting center is a guy named Cody Waldrop, who had a bit of an injury-plagued career at South Carolina, and sure enough, during a September practice, he goes down and in goes Bailey at center. He'd played guard for most of uh, high school, but he has to go uh, play at center. He ends up playing pretty good at center, and he ends up kind of cementing his role on the starting offensive line for South Carolina. The next year, he plays guard, and then in junior year, Sean Elliott leaves and in comes a new guy whose name is Eric Walford, and Eric Walford is the same kind of tough, you know, be an asshole kind of vibe. So Walford actually moves Zach Bailey, who by then had kind of cemented himself as the best lineman on a pretty rough South Carolina unit, moved him out to right tackle, and Bailey embraced that challenge. He always had a respect for that sort of abrasive coaching style, and it really helped him get it down. But he kind of talked about, you know, hey, you got to flip all your footwork and you got to move outside and it's different footwork and it's like different steps and stuff. That's really difficult. Um, but by his senior year, he goes back to left guard. He did OK at right tackle, but he did better at, at left guard. Um, and it's not a great year for South Carolina. He does well enough, but they're like six and five. They just got spanked by Clemson. There's two games, meaningless games left in the season, uh, and they're totally out of contention. So this is the game versus Akron. This is uh, what will be Zach Bailey's final uh, game in South Carolina, final home game for the Gamecocks. And it's a meaningless game, but there's something special to it. And in the last play of the third quarter, Bailey pulls out on a power run uh, off tackle. A run blitzing linebacker shoots through the gap and ends up pursuing the running back. So he kind of like runs into the backfield and he's chasing the back, the, the back who's running right behind Zach Bailey's block. Uh, he dives to make the tackle. He gets an arm on the runner, kind of his legs kind of swing around uh, as he's diving and he lands straight on Bailey's knee, broken left fibula, out for the rest of the season, and now he has to go into rehab. And luckily, the fibula is a bone that you can break that heals a little bit more quickly, so he was ready to go by his first NFL training camp, but it totally screwed up his draft process. He didn't do any of the running drills. He only did uh, the bench and the jumps, so for the first time, he's not the golden boy. He's not the prized recruit that he was. He's not the best offensive lineman at South Carolina. Not that he was ever coddled. He was anything but, and he's like specifically sought that out, but the whole draft went by and he didn't hear his name. Nobody wanted to take a chance on the guy that had incomplete athletic information and is coming off an injury. But his phone's ringing like off the hook before the draft is even over and Tampa ends up making the best offer in undrafted free agency and they had abysmal guard depth. So with a solid preseason, Zach Bailey makes a team. This is 2019. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers makes a team as a backup, but they had pretty entrenched starters who stayed healthy all year. And in October, in the last practice before the Bucs went to a game against the Panthers in London. So right before they got on the plane, he has a mishap in practice, hurt his foot, IR. So that's another injury. So now he's got two and his career's getting kind of unlucky. Though to be fair, his injury, his uh, career in college was kind of enabled to get off to the start that it did because of an in injury to the center in front of him. That's just how it goes. And then with no preseason games in 2020, he has a really hard time making the team. He doesn't make it. He ends up on the practice squad for most of 2020. Vikings have a whole bunch of problems. They pick him up off the practice squad. So he hasn't taken a regular season snap in the NFL yet. But as a guard, his health has kind of been the biggest bugaboo 
preventing that for him and the health of the guys in front of him. But with the state of the guard depth in Minnesota, the question isn't really can he play rosterably, it's can he play better than Drew Samia and Dakota Dozier? And I was like, oh, maybe. Like, that's the thing Zach Bailey has always kind of found a way to do is put himself in a successful environment, whether it's the coaching, whether it's the competition around him and being able to kind of rise above that competition. He's always been in a spot where he can succeed if he earns it. And I don't think that's anything different right now. There's definitely roster spots open here at the guard position. There's a lot of dudes that have kind of proven that they can't play. So we'll see if he can earn it one more time. Let's talk real quick about some of this post-June stuff, because now that it is post-June, you can bet on where Julio Jones will end up, whether it'll be the Chargers or the Colts or any number of AFC teams, or I know the Seahawks were rumored for a little bit to be interested. If you want to check out those odds or odds for NBA games, MLB games, NHL games, any, you know, series results, uh, award shows, reality TV, whatever you want to bet on, you can find it at betonline.ag. It's free to set up an account. When you do so, you can enter your uh, first deposit for money to actually gamble with and we actually make that deposit enter promo code locked on l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n all one word you get a 50 percent welcome bonus that means for whatever you put in for your first deposit divide that by two and bet online will match that no additional charge you put in 100 bucks you have 150 bucks to gamble with just for putting in the promo code locked on when you make your first deposit at betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts in St. Rose, Louisiana, there is this empty, undeveloped lot, and next to it lived the Jeffersons, a family of LSU football alumni. Justin is the youngest of three, and his brothers would play out on that field all day long, uh, and he was obsessed with football from the moment he could hold a football. You can find Justin in the house, he's in the lot next door, and likely catching passes from his older brother, Jordan, who would make his little brothers run around and catch all his passes, Jordan wanted to be a quarterback. And that is, yes, the Jordan Jefferson that was an LSU quarterback many years after this. Jordan and Ricky grew up kind of big, actually perfect size. And uh, Jordan ends up being LSU's quarterback and, and Ricky Jefferson ends up playing corner for LSU. And he's still trying to carve out an NFL career for himself as well. But for Justin Jefferson, he didn't really have like that right growth to have that same trajectory into like super high school football stardom until high school until his sophomore year he was like five foot seven and skinny so he was kind of a late bloomer and he there was like this huge size concern so a lot of colleges wrote him off before he like grew up all the way and he went to a high school in Louisiana that was pretty high profile so it's not like he didn't have exposure but people saw this little kid and was like eh, nah we're not interested in the little guy so freshman year in high school uh, he actually broke his elbow playing soccer and he got an x-ray and the doctor sees his growth plates and they realize like, oh no, he's going to get a lot taller. And so he was like five foot seven, but they knew he still had some growing left into him. And sure enough, his junior year, he shot up to like six foot one, but he was still skinny and he couldn't get on varsity because of his size until this growth spurt. So he just had like no buzz at all and no schools were interested except LSU, who obviously had this relationship with uh, the Jeffersons. And specifically Les Miles, who was the coach there through the Jordan and Ricky Jefferson uh, times through school. So they all knew Les Miles and the whole staff and Justin Jefferson and Ben Miles, son of Les, would actually run around and explore the facility when they would go to, you know, the Jordan Jefferson LSU games and Les Miles would be coaching and the little kids would be running around. 
They were like best friends, thick as thieves. So his senior season, Justin Jefferson is taller, he's playing, and he's totally balling out. Like he's producing and everything is like looking the way Justin Jefferson should look. But recruiters all still have their doubts because, you know, why did this take so long? And the answer is he was a late bloomer. But recruiters kind of are just aren't going to look at a kid that has like this size concern and didn't get on varsity until junior year and all this stuff. Like they're just not going to not going to look at it. And the problems for Justin Jefferson don't end there. Like, I want to make it very clear. We got real close a bunch of times to a world where Justin Jefferson just never made it. And in fact, a couple of the scouts that were involved in the recruiting process for Justin Jefferson said, well, we didn't look at him because we just knew he was going to LSU. That Jefferson's had such a great relationship with LSU. They all knew each other. Uh, the, the high school coach knew all of the staff at LSU. They just kind of knew. And LSU basically had said, there's going to be an offer on the table for Justin Jefferson. We got a scholarship for him because of just the, the personal relationship which is very interesting. But again, the problems don't really end there. Justin Jefferson had an academics issue. There was an English core class that he bombed, and so he had to finish out that class before he was college eligible. And basically, LSU told him, all right, there's a scholarship here for you. We're going to hold it for you, but you know, you have to get eligible or we can't give it to you. So he was like not even eligible. So he didn't even like show up on stuff like ESPN's, you know, recruiting rankings. He was a two-star recruit by rivals. And he didn't even show up on a lot of the programs because he wasn't eligible until, you know, deep into the process. So in 2016, in the middle of that season, kind of surprisingly, Les Miles was fired uh, from LSU. That was Justin Jefferson's senior season in high school. And Ed Orderon uh, took over. And I think a lot about that transition and how Ed Orgeron could have totally just not honored the familiarity with the Jeffersons, or maybe how someone else could have gotten the job and who wouldn't have honored that, that agreement to give Justin Jefferson a scholarship if he got academically eligible. And just Jefferson would have had to go on, would have had to go to JUCO because he didn't get any other offers. He would have ended up at like Dillard University in the Gulf Coast Conference or something. And yeah, he would have dominated that small school or that JUCO competition or something, but ultimately he would have been overlooked yet again. And because he didn't have a great camp in 2020, Justin Jefferson, he might not have made the Vikings. That would have been it. The world just wouldn't have seen the immense talent that Justin Jefferson was all else being the same if it weren't for like that particular guy taking over and that particular decision to still give Justin Jefferson the scholarship that somebody else had promised him. So he goes to LSU and he gets the last scholarship there reports three days into camp like he, that it was down to the wire whether or not he would actually be eligible for college football. So his first practice his high school coach his name is Devin Robichaux visited a longtime friend of the program and watched all the other Jeffersons and all that. And, you know, he's a skinny kid, but he looks pretty good out there. And Jerry Sullivan, who is a longtime NFL wide receivers coach, assistant in the NFL for years. He's on LSU's staff this particular year as a consultant. And he looks at Jefferson over the practice. and He's like, that kid's going to the NFL. And even Robichaux, who watched him all high school, was like, what, that skinny kid going to the NFL? Are you kidding me? Like, still, people just did not buy it with this kid. So freshman year goes okay. It was uneventful, as freshman years often are. But in the spring game of 2018, which is his sophomore year, he sort of broke out. Five catches, 128 yards. He led the, the team there. And Jerry Sullivan, again, who was Jefferson's like biggest believer, is talking to Mr. and Mrs. Jefferson, parents Justin, and says, yeah, that kid should think about declaring his junior year. And even his parents were like, wait. Well, we love this, but NFL is junior year. Is he going to be ready for that? Is that going to be an irresponsible thing to do? And Jerry Sullivan says, just watch. He's going to hit the NFL. And 
then we all saw his 2018 season with LSU. Really good stuff. And of course, 2019, he was a superstar alongside Chase. Now, 2019, that was the championship year where he destroyed Oklahoma. But even then, people wonder, was it all Jamar Chase? Is he slot only and all this stuff? And a big deal. So the last time he ran a 40 was back before college. During the recruiting process, his dad got him into some, uh, like recruiting combine workout camp thing and there he ran a 40 yard dash here in a 488 so everybody kind of thought that that was going to be his time that he was a 48 guy and he'd be lucky to run a 46 in you know in the actual scouting combine so he worked and he worked and he worked did a lot of workouts in that lot next to his house with ricky jefferson who was trying to make the team at the time trying to make the saints uh and his older brother jordan was there and, and i think a trainer was there and he ends up turning in a 4-4-3, which blew people away and kind of eviscerated the most legitimate concern that has been plaguing him his whole career, which was his athleticism. He's a good athlete now, and that meant that he could be pretty safely a first-round pick. So he's finally getting his due. And so Rick Spielman had been had a keen eye on LSU, and he actually watched more 18 tape than 19 tape. So the slot only thing wasn't even a concern for him. He mentioned that in an article that came out uh, after last year. And he noticed this whole like breakout and felt super lucky that Justin Jefferson got by the Eagles. And we all kind of know that story with the, the famous video where they're all excited when Justin Jefferson falls to them. So he shows up here and he takes a few games to get going, of course, but he breaks out in week three and the rest is history. But for Justin Jefferson, for me, it's, you know, what if his English teacher was a little bit more stingy about, you know, what if his English teacher failed him? What if Ed Orgeron didn't take over and it was some other guy that didn't care about the Jeffersons? What if Ricky Jefferson didn't commit to LSU and he instead decided to go to a different school? And so you only had the Jordan Jefferson connection and maybe the connection wasn't as as deep. You know, what if Les Miles' son didn't befriend Justin Jefferson? What if they like didn't you know get along as well? Like there's all kinds of factors that affected this story of Justin Jefferson and how he got to LSU and how he came to excel in LSU. And honestly, with most prospects, you kind of have to get a little lucky or you have to you could kind of butterfly effect all of this and say, ah, well, you know, what if this happened or that happened or that happened? You know, if Taylor Heineke doesn't put his foot through a door, do the Vikings end up with Patrick Mahomes, right? Like you can make all sorts of hypotheticals. But for Jefferson, who is an entrenched NFL star now, he's going to have this career It was all so close to not happening so many times that in hindsight, and you realize recruiters are just being ridiculous, but they just missed it. It's just kind of fascinating to think about that with all of the hindsight benefit that we have now. So we're going to talk about something tomorrow. I have no idea what it'll be, but I'm excited to find out. So I will talk to you then. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL and the show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Make sure you check out the Locked On Today podcast, everything you need to know in the entire world of sports under 20 minutes every single morning. I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull.